Hey everybody, welcome along. This is our this is our, our last talk um, on food for thought, and it's in John chapter twenty-one. So we've been looking at John's gospel. So if you want to, um, I don't know if you've got a Bible in the corner of the room or something, you want to grab it now, and uh, it can be a reference point for you later on. The the words will come up on the screen if you've not got a Bible. But if you're if you want, I don't know, read it through with the kids, or you want to have your um, a bookmark in it for later on. It's John chapter 21, and it's just the first. We're not dealing with the last bit. It's just the first 17 verses. We're reading it in a, in a second. Um, just the last three or four weeks have been. They're not unprecedented, are they? In you know, other terrible stuff has happened in the past, but I was. I've been thinking it must be a, a hundred years since the war. Um, that as a nation or even you know as a as a world we've been caused to think like this to to pause like this i've n- i've never i don't think in my lifetime i'll ever experience another moment where the world is so conscious of itself is so deeply in thought about what people are like and what they're supposed to be like it's an incredible opportunity for a a preacher like me that the, the the, the sense of our own mortality that sits over us, the shared uncertainty for all of us about our jobs and about our health and everything else. And some of us are really busy, but loads of us have got time to think. The 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 kind of the rhythm of life has been broken in such a way that that we're thinking more deeply about about loads of things. So I'm at home with the kids all day. We're thinking really about. You know, thinking if you're if you're a family man, if you're um, a parent or a grandparent or something, you th- we're thinking in a more deeper way about our family ties and our family relationships. We're thinking in a different way about our jobs. Thinking in a deeper way about each other. Just the respect that we've got to have uh, for other people as we as we shop with them and that that kind of thing. We're just we're we're in a weird, different space. I think as human beings, we're thinking differently. And I think the same thing would apply to our faith people of faith the norm's been broken we're not just i don't know if you're having this sat there in your living rooms or wherever you are just now we're not rocking up at church every week we're not keeping up appearances we're not that that rhythm of life is has stopped and we you know we've still got the bible in the corner of the room we've still got the vast starry sky we've still got morality to think about we're still and we've got more time to think about it and i think that's what's happening with with we're thinking about faith and about life and about family and about everything else just on a deeper level. There's just there's just new things to see in it. And this story that we're going to look at, I'm going to read through. I think it reminds us, because I think we forget in the norms of life. We forget so much. Like we're beginning to see it a little bit now, aren't we, as we pause or are we, as we, as we have fear or as we consider the future in a different way. In the norms of life, we miss so much of I think the awesomeness, the awesome little elements of our faith. So there's just, in this passage, it's going to allow me to show you three that we might forget in the norms of life. So if you if you want to turn and have a look and check it out for yourself, it's John 21. I'll read it through and I'll explain bits and bobs as I go through John 21. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel, 
from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two of the disciples were together. Peter pipes up, I'm going to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you, as was often the case uh, with the disciples. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. uh, But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you got any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. It was that moment when they realized it was Jesus. It's such a, it's such a familiar scene. It must be such a familiar scene for these disciples. Almost a bit deja vu-y, I think, um, for some of these disciples. They were back where they grew up in Galilee and they were back doing what they did. And, you know, and, and they get a real hard time, I think, for doing that. I, I think maybe I would, I would have need to clear off and do some fishing to get some headspace. I don't know. Um, but they were, they were doing what they did. They were catching, well, they weren't. They were catching no fish. It was a really familiar story. And then somebody rocks up to give them some advice. Now, the text, a little bit later on, we'll come to it, tells us that this person, it was, we know it was Jesus, was 100 meters away. So it's just about that kind of distance where you can kind of like, if you've got good eyes, you can kind of have a stab at guessing who that is. And, it, and the conversation kind of goes, it's quite, quite, quite colloquial. That's not easy to say, is it? It's quite colloquial chat, I think Jesus brings. He says, you know, any joy? Did you catch anything? You know, why, don't they, why don't you try the other side? I, I mean, I don't know if you've, ever, if you've ever thought about giving advice to fishermen. It doesn't, they don't strike me as the kind of people that, I don't want to prejudge fishermen. I don't know any that well, but I'm never stood, if, if I'm ever at the seaside, by the side of the harbour, I never think, do you know what, these guys are really, they could really use some advice. I don't imagine that Peter and the disciples, you know, I don't, I don't know how well they took this advice. Either way, because they didn't know at this point it was Jesus, either way, they, 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 they tried to fish on the other side of the boat and very quickly the nets fill up and they realise, they're like, this is, this is Jesus. The passage goes on. It's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment round him because he'd taken it off and he jumped into the water. The other disciples again follow. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish. For they were not far from the shore, about a hundred meters. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals. There were some fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish. I don't know who did the counting, but it says 153, 153 large fish. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have, what a thing. This is a moment, isn't it? Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. It's such a familiar story, isn't it? Peter, as is always his way, Peter jumps in. 
to try and get there first because it's his saviour. And Jesus, this is a this is a real picture. I think I don't I don't know at what at what time Jesus lit the fire. Jesus is sat there. The disciples had been out all night. They hadn't caught anything. Jesus said, "Try the other side." He lights the fire, and he sat there. Breakfast is already on the go. He's ahead of the game, isn't he? And the disciples rush back, join him for breakfast. This amazing, beautiful scene. And they sit there. Well, they don't say his name. They just kind of. The impression I get is that they just sit there dumbfounded. They sit there gobsmacked, as you would, as we would. The passage goes on to say, when they'd finished eating, and I'm not going to explain this, but I'm just going to I'm going to let it hover over you for the next uh, five or six minutes while I talk. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, "Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these?" "Yes, Lord," he said. "You know that I love you." Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus says, feed my sheep. Okay, just three three things about our faith that we that I think we can be guilty of forgetting that are just amazing, game-changing things, and they're quite quick. So if you're if you're one of these people who's hanging on for the climactic moment of the sermon, you think, oh, just kind of half listening, it's going to be quite a short sermon today. The first the first one of these things is is resurrection. Your your faith is fueled by the by the resurrection, and it sounds sounds like maybe if you're a Christian, it sounds like I'm telling your granny I have to suck eggs. Maybe you're saying I know this, but be honest. In the in the in the real busy norms of life, the resurrection often isn't the foundational thing in our lives, is it? We base our security in in our stuff, or in our money, or in our health. Or even in our own, even in ourselves, even what we, you know, we can self-determine to do. And perhaps if you're a Christian, maybe how good the church service was, or how good the worship was, or how big your church is. Maybe we take some security from that kind of stuff. It's this, when we think about what gives us security, when we think about what gives us the big exhale, the big, oh, this this is the thing, this is where I rest, this is what gives me hope, this is what gives me comfort. It's, it can often be a big plethora of things, can't it? A whole heap of different stuff that, that kind of keep us going, that allow us to cope and allow us to survive. It, it's so helpful, mind-boggling, to read about the early church. See, the early church, they didn't... This, this thing didn't happen. It's, this movement didn't give hope to poor, destitute, marginalized people because the Christians sort of pulled their socks up and had a really solid work ethic. It didn't endure like horrific persecution because these disciples just liked meeting together and they liked the chat. They liked each other's company. They didn't have confidence. They didn't feel secure because the health benefits that came with Christianity were good. You know, there were a few 
miracles. There were definitely miracles, but there were loads of deaths. There were loads of risk involved in being a Christian. That's that's not what fueled the early church. All of this stuff happened because the tomb was empty. That's why it happened. That's why these people had confidence. That's why these people, that's why Peter went back to Jerusalem and preached like a legend and, and stood up confidently. Not not because he'd, he'd, he'd got himself together really or he, he had a way with words. He often didn't have a way with words. He went and did this because the tomb was empty. He went and did this because even though they'd beaten up Jesus and spent all day nailing him to a cross and killing him, he was there cooking breakfast for them the next day. That's that's where the fuel came from. It's amazing, I think. This is the this is our story, the resurrection. And if we never if we're ever going to celebrate, it's going to be today. This is our fuel. This is our charge, if you like. And it's like so. I'm not hammering you. I'm reflecting on my life, and so often the resurrection bit becomes just almost like an aperitif to the meal you know just a little bit I don't know if that's the right word aperitif just a little an accompaniment an extra something that we reflect on every now and again that's a bit like discovering electricity and saying oh that's that's awesome electricity that's amazing I'll use that on Tuesday morning to boil up some beans we don't think like that about electricity. We think about electricity, we think, yes, I'll have a warm house. I'll have microwave chips. I'll have Sky Plus. I'll have a sauna in the back garden. I'll have whatever I can get my hands on. I'll have everything I can get my hands on. It's a game changer. I'll embrace it for all that it is. And that is how it is with the resurrection. The Apostle Paul put it like this. So if you, if you, if you want to... Uh, chase these thoughts up, read 1 Corinthians 15, we don't really have time, it's a big long chapter but I can make it a bit more concise for you now, he says this is the resurrection, this is the most important thing this is the thing you've really got to hear about if it's not true the world should pity us sort of halfway through chapter 15 it says that, but at the end of the chapter it says if it is true then it changes how we look at everything this is our joy, this is our position Something has happened that has shifted how we should look at everything, completely changed the way we should look at everything, how we should how we should feel about the future, how we should feel about uncertainty, how we should consider work, how we should consider other people, how we should raise our families, how we should feel about death, how we should feel about sickness. It all should be shaped, can be shaped, is shaped, by the truth of the resurrection. This is our story. This is the first thing that Christianity is that we forget. I think that, and it's awesome. And we've remembered today, as I've looked on Facebook, and it's been awesome, that the resurrection is the fuel. Second thing, our faith's about people. God's, God's heart for people. The amazing way that God changes lives I think we see it here in this little story as as Peter is completely schooled. I think that's the right use of the word. He's completely schooled by Jesus. See in verse 10, have a, have a butchers at verse 10. Jesus says to Peter, he says, bring, bring some of the fish, bring some of the 
millions of fish that you've just caught over. And I think the text asks us just to have a little gaze at this story. You kind of made to visualize Peter dragging 153, it says big fish to shore, even though he's been all night catching none, you're left with this image of this guy dragging this huge amount of fish out of the boat. This is at the, at the start, if you read this on a superficial level, or if you just flick through it, you'd be tempted to think that this is this is a fishing lesson that they're getting here. The lesson is, yeah, try fishing on that side. This is not this is not a fishing lesson. This is a this is a demonstration of the heart of God for people. That's what it is. It's a demonstration that this story that Peter's got involved in that he's forgotten about a little bit is about God's heart for people, the amazing changes that God can make in people's lives, the love that God has for people. Somewhere in the busy individualized norms of our lives or under the influence of church leaders like me who who call it evangelism, give it huge big words and who ask you to do loads of activity, we forget. We forget that it's about people. We forget that this story is about God's love for other people. And Jesus grabs hold of Peter in this moment at the start of this mission, at the start of this journey. And he reminds him as he drags these fish out of this boat that this is a story about God's love for other people. Let's, let's when we get back to normality, let's not forget some of these amazing lessons. It's, a, it's about God's heart for people. So that's one and two. It's about the resurrection. It's about people. And the last one, last point, it's about forgiveness. Our faith is fueled by forgiveness. Its strength is in our grasp of what it means to be forgiven. It's a kind of core biblical message, I think. As I read through scripture, we see it particularly in the New Testament, that that it's not only that God commands us to forgive, but actually forgiveness is healthier, better, awesome for the human race. Jesus says in Luke 6, 37, forgive and you'll be forgiven. He says in Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy. Kind of when we look into the logic of this, we kind of know this. We know that when we hold on to hate, it scuppers us as much as it scuppers anybody else. And we know that we know really, I think the world sees it, we know really that forgiveness is the only way through all this. Forgiveness is the real liberator. Forgiveness is the real way to health for us. Holding on to a grudge is going to choke us in time. But forgiveness prospers us. It's an incredible anomaly, I think. Um in human beings that we don't that we don't or we can't embrace forgiveness we can't really realize it or we don't spend more time going this is the amazing thing this is the game changer forgiveness this is a story about forgiveness and peter has that and maybe you're listening to this story maybe you've you've not seen my ugly mug preach before and you're halfway listening in and you and you're just sort of assessing the three things that i've said and maybe you're going yeah that is pretty pretty awesome that would make for an awesome human being, somebody who could live in light of the resurrection, somebody who didn't have that fear of death the whole time, uh, somebody who could be like equipped to look lovingly at other people, somebody that was liberated by a capacity to forgive. That would be that would, that would make for an awesome human being. But maybe you're thinking, 
I know that in the norms of life, the resurrection, just think through this, the resurrection just seems miles away, doesn't it? And people are, you can't love everybody. People are too annoying, aren't they? And forgiveness, that is, that is an every, that would be an everyday struggle. It would make us too vulnerable. It's too easy to hold a grudge, isn't it? It just seems impossible. Peter felt exactly the same, I think. Peter had those same struggles, but he learned a real amazing lesson in this story. You see it at the end of the text, from verse 15 through to the end. Jesus eyeballs him, I think, and he repeats to him three times. Do you do you love me more than these? Yeah, I love you. Do you do you love me more than these? Yeah, I love you. Do you love me more than these? When somebody I've learned as a married man, when somebody asks you something three times, they're not really asking you a question. They're wanting you to grapple with something. They're wanting you to appreciate something. Jesus is looking at Peter here and he's saying, and he knows his character, he's saying, Don't give me a do not give me a try answer, Peter. Don't shoot your mouth off here. I want you to dwell on what's just happened this last couple of days. I want you to think over every second of this crucifixion experience. I want you to he asked him three times, doesn't he? He says, I want you to think over the three times that you denied me and let me down, given that you told me that you would be there for me no matter what. I want you to think through this stuff. And I want you to know, even though you really wanted to, you couldn't help me endure this cross. I want you to know that I've seen the limits of your heart, Peter. I've seen where you come up short. But I want you to know as well that when you confess with your mouth that you love me, even though I know all this, even though I see exactly what you're made up of, I'm going to place you exactly where you were before. This is what our Saviour does. This is what he does for us. Now, here's the thing. This is the end. We tomorrow I'm not gonna forgive somebody, I'm sure of it. We we can't forgive all the time. Unless unless we know we know the perfect judge who sits in authority over all things, and we know that he has seen the very worst bits of our soul. And he's seen all that, and he's seen us come up short, and he's seen the blackness that hides away there, and he's seen the stuff that nobody else gets to see, and he's seen all that, and he still forgives us. In fact, he's placed us right back where we were. He says, I forgive you. If we know all that, then we might just manage to forgive. Only Jesus can do this. Only Jesus brings forgiveness, doesn't just inform us about what forgiveness is, but brings it, allows it to multiply because he can forgive us and we can pass it on. Only Jesus shapes us to love other people, people that we just can't love. Only Jesus can liberate us from death. And he's not in the tomb today. Happy Easter. I hope that you can find him. I'm just going to pray. And then it's um, over to Sharbs and her song.
and I'm looking at the, the clock and I'm, I'm sorry that we've gone on past the time. Thank you for, for listening. Father God, we just pray uh, that the new life that came to Jerusalem 2,000 years ago uh, would give us life just now in these days to our aching bones and our tired minds. Help us to see everything through the prism of that empty tomb. Help all our worries and our fears, all our ambitions, what we think is successful, how we hope for the future. Father God, may everything, everything that makes us up, everything that we hope for, may we see it through that great, great sacrifice on the cross. We celebrate you, risen Saviour. Amen.